Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Aren't you glad you got a blessed hope in Jesus? Aren't you glad that this is not the end of it all, this life that we live right here upon the earth? You go to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and we are really encouraged by the people in that hall of faith or the faith hall of fame. In the way you want to say it is fine with me. But we see some things revealed to us there in those verses of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 11. We see a revelation of what is called faith in many different forms. For example, triumphant faith. Triumphant faith is a moment-by-moment -moment faith that we live by, that we overcome a problem that we might have in life. Have you ever used your faith to overcome a problem? The rest of you? Amen. We can overcome a problem immediately, a moment, in a moment, by using our faith. And we thank God for triumphant faith. But there's also transformational faith. And what is that? That changes us from glory to glory. We're believing. See, that involves the life that we live. One's a moment, but this is life. As we live our lives upon the earth, we thank God that we can experience victory over problems. But what about transformational faith? It means we want to change not just a problem, but we want to change a life. Transformational faith changes us from glory to glory. Not just help me, change me. Amen. And that's what God wants for all of us. To conform to the very image of Jesus. Then there's transcending faith. What's transcending faith? A faith that takes us beyond this world that we live in right here. People out there don't have transcending faith. You know why? Because they think that when you die, it's over. And that's all there is to it. Well, you know what? It's not over when you die. Thank God you've got a transcending, transcending faith that one day, praise God, this is going to happen. A trumpet is going to sound, and when it does, graves are going to open, the dead in Christ are going to rise, we that are alive and are going to be caught up in chains in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to meet our family in the sky, and we will forever be with the King of kings and Lord of lords, celebrating victory over death, hell, and the grave once and for all. I can see how excited you are about that. You're just so, are you excited about that? That's transcending faith, praise God. It takes us beyond this world. Don't you have a blessed hope? You're going to see your family again, your loved ones in glory. There'll be a reunion in the sky. All that is for free. Won't charge a penny for any of that. We're talking about examining ourselves. I, I, I did that so that we could really be inspired to be changed. Because that's what this is all about. Being changed from glory to glory. Examining ourselves. Not our neighbors, not our friends, not our family members. But examining ourselves so that we can be changed from glory to glory. Now the Apostle Paul was, uh, by the Corinthians, really treated not too well. They were very critical of him. Critical of his age. Critical of his writing, his speech, the way he talked, his writing style. They were even critical of um, whether or not he was an apostle. But you know what? He didn't really take that to heart. He just wrote two letters to them. And in both of those letters, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, guess what he said? Instead of you criticizing other people, 
You need to examine yourself. Did you ever notice that? 1 Corinthians 11 and 2 Corinthians 13, he gave us a revelation. So we'll start with 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Notice what he says. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. On Wednesday night, I talked about two uh, rituals that the Israelites were practicing, but Isaiah was sent by God to correct them because what they were doing was nothing but an empty show, uh, a ritualistic show, an empty show, and it had no spiritual substance behind it whatsoever. You see, in fasting, you, there's something that you don't do, and that's called eat. In keeping the Sabbath, there's something that you don't do, and that's called work. So you cannot eat and not work, but how many of you know that you can eat, not eat and not work and still have no spiritual substance behind it whatsoever? And so Isaiah was sent to correct them and just say, now look at this. You may not be eating, but I guarantee you, there's no spiritual substance. You are not doing the right thing because you're doing it for the wrong thing. Your motive is wrong. And what you're doing is you're doing it so that you can gain or have the upper hand over somebody maybe that you don't like. You're doing it for self-glory in all that. So even though you might not eat, doesn't mean you're really fasting in the eyes of God and that he really sees it. But then the next thing was their keeping of the Sabbath day. You don't work. He said, but you're exacting all your labors. You're doing what you want to do. You're speaking your own words. Basically, you're really not even keeping the Sabbath the way you should keep the Sabbath. Well, when it came to this, or it comes to this, Paul was sent to do the same thing in this Corinthian church. What were they doing? Oh, they may have been celebrating the Lord's Supper, but you know what? The motive behind it wasn't right. And that's why I believe us, we as a church, whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we should really take it to heart and really consider some things because how many people really examine themselves thoroughly before they celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's why we don't do it like every week. Those that do it every week probably, and I'm not criticizing anybody, but if you do it every week, that's fine. You could do it every day if you want to. But if you do it, just doing it doesn't mean you're doing it right. He said, examine yourself. Who is the plumb line? Jesus. That we measure up to? Jesus. And so I printed this off for us. So we as a church body, we can do this. I, you have a copy of it there. I'm going to read it to you today. Here's one thing that we can do before we ever celebrate the Lord's Supper. Examine ourselves thoroughly. Notice what it says. This is from Alfred Barnes' commentary, by the way, just to let you know. But keep it. And when it's time for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper, you might want to pull it out and just kind of go over it. Why? Because we don't want to go through the motions of it. And we don't want to be disrespectful respectful to God, right? Anybody here want to do it the right way? Yes. Look what it says. But let a man examine himself. Let him search and see if he has the proper qualifi qualifications. If he has the knowledge to discern the Lord's body. If he is, has true repentance for his sins, true faith in the Lord Jesus, and a sincere desire to live the life of a Christian. And to be like the Son of God, to be saved by the merits of his blood. Let him examine himself to see whether he have the right feelings of a communicant and can approach the table in a proper manner in regard to this. We may observe certain things. Number one, that this examination should include the great question about his personal piety, about his particular and special fitness for this observance. It should go back into the great inquiry, whether he has ever been born again. And it should also have a special reference to his immediate and direct preparation for the ordinance. He should not only be able to say in general that he is a Christian, but that he is able to say that he has 
has then a particular preparation for it. He should be in a, in a suitable frame of mind for it. He should have personal evidence. He is a penitent and that he has true faith in the Lord Jesus and that he is depending on him and is desirous of being saved by him. So you could just kind of narrow that down and just say, really, I'm born again. I know I'm born again. I know I'm washed in the blood of the lamb. And man, thank you, Jesus, for your blood. But number two, an examination should be minute and particular. It should extend to the words, the thoughts, the feelings, and conduct. We should inquire whether in our family, in our business, whether among Christians and with the world, we have lived the life of a Christian. We should examine our private thoughts, our habits, our secret prayer, and of searching the scriptures. Our examination should be directed to the inquiry whether we are gaining the victory over easily besetting sins and becoming more and more conformed to the Savior. It should, in short, extend to all Christian character and everything which goes to make up our mar. That character should be the subject of faithful and honest, notice the word honest, examination. And that's what he was trying to tell them. Basically, examine yourself because you're going through the motions of celebrating the Lord's Supper. But you know what? You have no clue what you're doing. You're leaving out people. You're, you're ignoring the poor. You've got your little groups that you're joining together in. You know what? It's wrong. Look at the next one. It should be done because why? It is well to pause occasionally in life and take an account of our standing in the sight of God. People make advances in business and property only when they often examine their accounts and know just how they stand. B, because the observance of the Lord's Supper is a solemn act and there will be fearful results if it is celebrated in an improper manner. Remember he said some are uh, weak, sickly, and die prematurely because you celebrate it in an improper manner. Because self-examination supposes seriousness and calmness and prevents precipitation and rashness, states of mind entirely unfavorable to a proper observance of the Lord's Supper, because by self-examination, one may search out and remove those things that are offensive to God and the sins that so easily beset us may be known and abandoned. And then under point E, because the approach to the table of the Lord is a solemn approach to the Lord himself. It is a solemn profession of attachment to him. It's an act of consecration to his service in the presence of angels and the people. And this should be done in a calm, deliberate, and sincere manner, such a manner as may be the result of a prayerful and honest self-examination. Something to consider, isn't it? Because usually when people come together, oh, we're celebrating Lord's Supper, and everybody walks in and says, okay, I got mine. And not even consider what it's about. This is talking about, let's just say we do it quarterly, three, four times a year, every three months, and really take it to heart, and really examine ourselves. Am I growing in Christ? Am I growing in walking in His love, living by faith? Am I showing mercy as he's shown me mercy? Am I forgiving as he has forgiven me? Am I serving him because he served me? Am I using my gifts, my, gifts, my talents, my abilities to advance his kingdom upon the earth? Or am I just uh, someone who's a spectator just sitting by just waiting for this life to end? So in other words, you're saying my connection is to Christ himself. You know, we know there's a big decline in church attendance right now, whether it's due to COVID or just a change of attitude in our culture. Who needs church? We need it more than you think, because he said all the more, when you see the day approaching of his coming, gather yourselves together, because you need to stand together, band together, and believe God together. Why? Because the times in the end is going to be twofold. The darkness is going to get darker, so the light's got to get lighter. And if you think we're, not be we're being challenged right now, we've got a lot more ahead of us to go through in this life. Why? Because the devil's getting restless. He knows his time is end. He knows he's about to be cast into a lake of fire here soon. And he wants to bring everybody with him that he possibly can. You realize that. And you know what? You're not exempt. I'm not exempt. No one is exempt from it.
So in this first Corinthians letter, he said, look, don't criticize me. Look into the mirror, examine yourself, get out the plumb line and determine whether or not you are walking close to Jesus Christ. Because when you celebrate that supper, what you're doing is saying, I am connected to him. I am one with him and I want to think his thoughts. I want to speak his words. I want to love as he loved me. And I'm going to love others just the way he loved me. And so that's very clear. That's what he's trying to say to them. But now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And once again, he does the same thing in this end of this letter. And what does he say? Examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith, notice this, prove your own selves. That's two. Examine is one. Prove is two. And then know ye not your own selves. Number three is to know. How that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. And that's, in other words, you've got a mind that's void of judgment and understanding. So three things we'll just share from this particular text. Examine yourself, prove yourselves, and know of yourselves. And so, these three points are made, but before we get there, look at, in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it. And then in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2, we read this. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in your heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And you can look up these different um, commentaries and you'll find out when it says that he wants you to prove thee so that he would know. It's really so that you would know, so that I would know. In other words, I brought you out and I didn't take you straight in. I, I brought you out so that you can go through the wilderness. And in that wilderness, you can see for yourself exactly what's the condition of your heart. You can see it. The heart's wicked. Who even knows it? Remember, Peter said, I won't deny you. I won't deny you. I won't deny you. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. Because you see, Jesus knew his heart. Jesus didn't have to do any wilderness searching. He knew what was in his heart. When the Laodicean, Laodicean church, when he commented to them and he said nothing good about that church, it's the only one he said nothing good about. He said, you think you're okay. You think you're rich, you're wealthy, you're prosperous, you're successful and all that. He says, you know, you're really not. You're poor. You're wretched. Think about that. You're naked. Those three things he said to them. Three things that really targeted their economy, targeted what they, trans, you know, basically their exports. Okay, so he hit them right where they lived and said, here's a solution, come to me. Come to me. Buy from me what you need to get right with me. And if you'll do that, you're going to be okay. So he is saying to all of us, man, you don't even know what you're capable of. You realize that. No matter who we are, we don't know what we're capable of. When you're Find yourself in a situation of difficulty. How are you going to react? What's going to come out of your heart? Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so if fear rises up and takes over, then I must be full of fear. But you see, if I'm full of the word, filled with the word and full of the power of the Holy Spirit, what's going to come out of me when I'm challenged? In other words, when I'm squeezed, what's going to come out of me? Is it going to be love? Is it going to be faith? Is it going to be mercy, etc., etc.? So out of the abundance of what we put in us is what's going to come out of us. 
And once again, the plumb line is Jesus, and so he wants us to compare ourselves with him and say, this is how you walk. Remember this, 1 John 2, 6, he that says he abides in him should do what? Walk even as he walked. Anybody there yet? Some of you are. He <laughs> didn't say no, so <laughs> some of you are. Is anyone there yet? Absolutely not. So we shouldn't be distracted from the man in the mirror, should we? The focus this year, we're, we're doing this right now to prepare us. Why? Because God wants to manifest himself in glorious power among people that take this to heart and said, I will humble myself and I will pray and I will seek your face and turn from any wicked way. That you might hear from heaven, forgive the sin, and bring healing to our land. Amen? All right. So number one, to examine. We talked about to examine yourself means to do an inspection of yourself. So we inspect ourselves for where we're at in Christ and whether or not we're progressing in Christ. But we examine ourselves to see, number one, as to whether or not we're really in Christ. And you say, why do you say that? Well, in the Corinthian church, there were professing Christians and there were possessing Christians. Someone who, let's say, professes they know Christ, doesn't mean they actually possess Christ. So he said, examine yourself to determine whether or not you're in the faith, is what he said. How many of you know that you can take a cross and you could have it in your home, somewhere in your house, up on a wall, and maybe you can put it on your car, you know, magnetically. Sometimes in the days gone by, they would put the cross. Remember that? Yeah. Okay. Um, Etc. Or they would hang it from a mirror. They have a cross that would hang from the mirror. You might go off to work one day and put a cross on your desk. And How many of you know that having a cross doesn't mean you're saved? The cross has got to be in you. Not on the desk, not in the car, not on the wall. It's got to be in us. You can believe in gopher wood. You can believe in the boat, the ark, from stem to stern. I guarantee you, if you don't get in it, you're not going to be saved. I was in religion for all these years, but I wasn't saved. I didn't have the cross in me. I wasn't in the ark. You know what's sad when I hear people say this? I've been in such and such a church for all these years. I never heard you had to be born again. I was one of those people. You may have been one of those individuals as well. I never heard that. And when I heard that and I found out it was true and then I got born again, I went back to my spiritual leaders and I addressed that. And I'll tell you what. It wasn't a good thing. You can't believe it's in that book. I said, Jesus said you must be born again. No, you've got to follow your church doctrine. I said, whoa. Wow. No. Uh-uh. I believe that we have to be in Christ. And being in Christ is not a religious thing. Being in Christ means... I need to get on my face. I've accepted him as my savior. And Father, I want you to change me into his image from glory to glory. And you know what? If we take that sincerely to heart, it involves more than just going to church. It involves getting out the plumb line and saying, this is Christ. He said the love is he loved me. Oh my goodness, how did he love me? He laid down his life and he died for me. So I need to do that. He said, if, if he did that for you, then we owe it to him to do that for others. Did you know that? First John 
tells us, chapter 3, verse 16. John 3, 16 says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. 1 John 3, 16 says, well, then if you have been loved by him that way, then you owe it to him to love other people the exact same way. What a mandate. So examine yourself to be certain. He was telling these Corinthian people, look, there's nothing but strife, division, envy among you, and all these different things. I can't even speak to you as spiritual, right? I can't speak to you as spiritual, he said, only as babes in Christ. So in other words, it's time to grow. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 25. The verse is very simple. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Notice the ways of death has many ways. There's a way that seems right to a man. If you're reared up in Scientology, guess what the way is? There's no heaven and there's no hell. Isn't that great? Live as you want, do as you want, etc., etc. There is no, in the future, judgment. So as a result, I grew up in that, for example, if someone did, if you don't examine what you believe, and you know what, I was guilty of that. I grew up in something that I just took for granted that the people that were leading me knew what they were talking about. Were you ever there? Some of you grew up in the Christian faith, and that's wonderful, but many have not. And we never sat back and examined what we believe in. There are many out there right now, they don't examine what they believe in. They just accept it because that's what the leadership says it's all about. And you know what? They're going to be lost for eternity. You heard me say this before. You know what sends more people to hell than anything else? Religion. Because they think they're okay with God, but they don't take the time to be responsible for their eternal well-being. And beloved, it's so important for us to be responsible. When my spiritual leader told me, you can't believe everything in that book, you have to follow church doctrine... And listen, it was intimidating. I stood there before him and I just said, you're telling me i got to believe you above Jesus Christ. He said, I'm telling you, you have to respect me because the doctrine says so. I said, really? It's time for me to go. I will not stay here. If you got, first of all, you say that book, that book, that book is the number one selling book in the world forever all time. There's no other book that's been sold like that book. There's no other book that's been protected by that book. That book is the Holy Bible, the Holy Writ, the Word of the Living God. God who was made flesh and dwelt among us gave us His Word, His spoken Word that was written down so that you and I can know the way of life. And in that book, He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one gets to the Father except by me. Your religious tradition won't get you there. Only Jesus will. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. So examine yourself. Examine what you're thinking. Examine what you're believing. Examine your life to be sure, number one, that you are in Christ solidly walking with him and serving him. Number two, prove your own selves. The word prove there is a stronger word than examine. Now, we can examine something by looking at it, observing it. For example, you can have an axe. Anybody use an axe here? Some of you do. You can go to, a, let's say, go to Lowe's or Home Depot or somewhere where you go online. Anymore, it's online. And buy one. You can look at it. You can examine it. You can say, oh, that looks pretty neat. That looks pretty good. It's, uh, I like the steel here. I like the handle here. I like the grip here. And you're doing all that. But you really don't prove it until you get into the woods. Because when you get into the woods and you see how it performs, now you can say, I have proven 
this to be what I want. I have proven that what they claim about it is actually true about it. Because if your first whack at a tree or whatever and it cracks in half, I think you're going to take it back to the store and say, I tried to prove this, and you know what? It proved to be not good. Uh, when we were in the Philippine Islands, and help me if I'm missing something here, we went to like a little shopping mall or something like that. I think we went to the down, and we saw, finally, we didn't eat for days, and we finally saw this ice cream counters there. Weren't there many multitude of ice creams that were there? And finally, something so appealing to the eye. I mean, we looked at that and just said, finally, you know, with something we can put in us. And we looked at all these delicious looking flavors. They looked absolutely wonderful. And they were beckoning us to try them. So we both got one, tasted it, tried to prove it, and ended up, don't get away. It's not sugar like we low sugar, I'll tell you right now. See, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. It wasn't proven. We tried to prove it, and it proved to be not very tasty. So when he says prove yourself, there are certain things that we can do to prove to ourselves that, yeah, I'm walking closer to Jesus now. Okay? So what are they? Number one, look at John 8, 31. Here Jesus is talking to these Christian, well, if you want to say it this way, believers. I'll say believers that were Jewish people that followed him because they said they believed in him. Okay? So then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. When he said, continue in my word, the word that is mine is one rendering of it. If you continue in the word that is mine, then you're my disciple indeed. Now, I want to say something that's important to emphasize. These Jewish believers also believed in all the Old Covenant, all the Old Testament, all the Jewish and Mosaic law, and all that, and which is fine that they believed all that. But when he came along and he said, if you believe in the word that is mine, because you see, I'm going to take all that, I'm going to process all that, I'm going to fulfill all that, I'm going to lay it out this way. For example, I'm the only way, truth, and life, and nobody comes to the Father except by me. You've got to continue in that. Also, I'm going to die, I'm going to be in a grave, I'm going to rise on the third day, and I am going to overcome death, hell, and the grave. You've got to believe all that. Well, you know what? The first time that they were challenged with that, they walked away from him. You realize that? They wanted to stone him. Before Abraham was, I am. And they want to pick up stones to stone him. Think about it. If you continue in my word, not that you had it way back when, if you continue in my word, you're my disciple. You're proving your own self. You know what? This word, oh my goodness, it is so easy to take this word for granted. It is so easy for us to say, I've got so many translations of the Bible. Think about it. We've got a computer where we can go on there. We can get every translation that we want. We go to uh, Bible study tools and on all that. You've got them all there online. How serious are we with really taking this word? And as the prophet said, I found your words and I ate them. And they were to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. I consider your words 
more than my necessary bread? Or is this just, well, we got a copy of it, thank the Lord. Like I told you when I first got saved, remember, my Bible was a family Bible. It was full of dust on a, on a coffee table, never opened, because I was told you can't understand it. So don't even try. I was, I was obedient. I was obedient. I obeyed. I didn't. But when I got saved, oh, what a change of heart. Oh, what a change of attitude. This became my lifeline. My lifeline. And you know what? Sometimes I look back upon those days when I first got saved. You talk about a fire in my bones. You talk about a faith that was so solid in God. When my daughter fell three, uh, 10 feet down and she could have died or she was so, oh my goodness, so dis destroyed her face and everything else. And I just called upon the name of Jesus and prayed in other tongues and the Holy Ghost over her. And she got healed supernaturally by the power of God. And then from that point on, I just go to where my other children were born. Because when you couldn't have children, but praise God, endometriosis was not more powerful than the name of Jesus. And the list goes on and on. I studied under men of faith. And those men of faith just said, triumphant faith says this. No matter what the circumstance says, the God that you serve is greater than the circumstance. And you need to say what God's word says. You're like a Daniel that says, don't pray, don't pray, don't pray open up the window throw it up higher I'm going to pray all the louder you can all hear me throw me in the lion's den you know what my God is greater than a lion praise God angels came down to deliver him out of the mouth of the lions why because the word of the Lord was in his mouth that's why like a Shadrach Meshach and Abednego what did you say you better bow down and worship my image if you don't bow down and worship my image you are going into a burning fiery furnace well, go ahead and throw us in because you know what? You want your answer to your question? The God that I serve is greater than the fire in that furnace. The God that I serve told me when I pass through the fire, I will not be burned. So I'm telling you, O king, I'm not even going to take time to answer this. I'm not bowing to you. I'm not bending to you. And I'm not burning in the furnace because the God I serve, he will deliver me out of your hands. Wow. You talk about someone that says, I take the word of God literally and I embrace it. And as far as I'm concerned, praise God, I'm walking in the light of it. And you've got a living miracle sitting right there in that front pew that testifies to the fact that when you speak the word of God over your situation, when man says you die, God says you live. You will not die. You will live and declare the works of the Lord. Oh, was it an easy fight? Was it an easy walk? Absolutely not. But you know what? I thank God I knew the word of God. I thank God for his word having the final say. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Next one. 1 John three fourteen, And here it is. We're talking about prove it. Taste the ice cream. Hit the axe. Use the axe in the woods to prove it's a good one. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. You see, someone says, I know I'm born again. How do you know? I, I know I'm born again. I knew I was born again because the love of God was shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost when I asked Jesus to come into my heart. The love of God was shed abroad. I knew that. Why did I know that? Everything changed. My whole vision changed. My whole perception of life changed. My perspective changed. I began to see people differently. I began to see the world differently. I began to see, you know, before I got saved, I never looked at someone and said, I wonder if they're making heaven or if they're going to die and be lost forever. Never. But the moment Christ came into my heart, oh my goodness, 
I saw people as a sheep without a past a shepherd. I saw people as eternal spirit beings that need to be saved. I went back to my own church and I thought, oh my goodness, I've sat here for 24 years. How many out there are like me? They're going to be lost forever. I thought I could go in that church and I can tell these people. I want a little bit of a platform just to say, hey, it's true, you must be born again. I was born again. I mean, I thought that my leader would be so enthralled and so excited about what I did and basically just wanted me out. Don't want to disrupt the apple cart, overturn it. I started seeing people as eternal spirit beings that needed saved, and my heart went out to them, you know, and trying to reach them. I had a zeal for God, but no knowledge. I told my then mother-in-law, you're going to hell. It wasn't a good thing. It wasn't the right way to witness. I had a zeal for God, but no knowledge. I just thought, you're going to hell. You know, you're going to hell. She didn't talk to me. <laughs> she didn't talk to me for a month. So, um, one day I kind of figured things out. You know, maybe that wasn't the wisest thing for me to say to her. So then I, I realized that love is what never fails, right? Because I started reading the love chapter. I was just saved. I was just young. I didn't really know much of the scriptures. Like I said, I had a zeal for, for God, but no knowledge. So I saw love never fails. So I figured I better do this. I went out and I bought her a dozen roses. And a then the living Bible. Because he was an elder in the church all his life, disciples of Christ. And when I sat down and told him that I was born again, you know, he told me, he actually thought I was a lunatic. <laughs> I'll just say it that way. And when I made Christ my Savior, he just tapped my leg and just said, that's okay, one day you'll make heaven if you're good enough. Here's someone all his life was in church, didn't know you couldn't be good enough. I'm thinking, how many people are out there that are like this, that are not examining what they believe, and they're going to be lost for an eternity? Well, long story short, I brought the flowers and the Bible, and I just left. I, I was a coward. I left them on her table and left. <laughs> Little card there, you know. But you know what? Before they both died, I led them to Jesus. I was forgiven. <laughs> What I said was true, but it was not the way to say it. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance, not telling them they're going to hell. You see that? Look at 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Look at These scriptures should come alive to us this morning. We're talking about examining ourselves. I'm not examining you. You shouldn't be examining me. Examine yourself. How do I line up to the plumb line? Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knows not God, for God is love. Now, that's not saying you're not born again. It's saying you don't really know God. If you want to grow in God, you've got to understand love. And if you don't love, then you don't really know God. So you've got to love the way God loves. And the word there, the Greek word there for love is agape. Agape love, divine love. Love based on principle and decision, not on feelings and emotions. So God says, I want you to abandon everything else and start loving the way I loved you. Start looking at the way I love you. How did you love me, Jesus? While you were a sinner, while I was a sinner, he loved me into the kingdom. He sent labors across my path to let me know you need to be born again. How did he love me? He went to a cross. He suffered. He died. He paid the, the penalty of the wrath of God, was raised from the dead on the third day, and went to the high court of heaven for me because I couldn't go there for myself, offered up his blood and obtained eternal redemption for me. That's how he loved me.
Now he says, now start loving people the way I loved you. Okay. Number three, under point C, John 14, 12, uh, 14, 21. He that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. What's the proof that I am his disciple? What's the proof that I love Jesus? It's not that I say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. That's not what it is. The proof is what? I keep your commandments. It's obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. I obey you. How many of you here 100% always obey God? Whew. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm struggling getting through this because I'm kind of looking in the mirror. Don't you? Are you perfect? Nobody's perfect. No, what we are, we're in the process of being changed from glory to glory. It's called transformational faith. I'm looking into the mirror of God's word. We should be so like this. That we don't see that. I'm looking in the mirror. See, the mirror means it's my reflected image. Okay, how do I line up to that? Where's the plumb line? Oh, boy. Um, yeah. The tongue of the wise is health. Hmm. Control your tongue, control your life, control your destiny. There's a speaks like the piercing of the sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Don't you know that you'll be judged for the words that come out of your mouth? Uh-oh. Wow. I got a lot to do. Don't you have a lot to do? This is not condemnation. This is correction and teaching that we all need. And sometimes in the faith movement, I'll, I'll be honest with you right now, we know who we are in Christ, but you see, what you are positionally doesn't mean what you are practically. What's on the inside got to get to the outside. I asked Tammy last Wednesday night to play this song called, I got something on the inside working on the outside. She's still working on the outside to get that, to get, get those cords down and all that. Anyhow, what it's saying is I've got something on the inside. I've got Christ in the fullness of the Godhead bodily on the inside. of Do you know that we have the fullness of the Godhead bodily on the inside of us? How much is it working on the outside? And it's easy to let that all slip. We can get into a slippery slope and just think that I've, I've arrived. We haven't arrived. And one reason why the church hasn't arrived, because they haven't taken communion or the Lord's Supper to really to heart, to really examine yourself to the plumb line and see, am I walking in love? Am I living by faith? Am I being led by the Spirit? Am I showing mercy? Am I showing forgiveness? Am I, et cetera, et cetera. We've got to get through this. Look at Titus chapter 2. And uh, once again, something else that points out, this proves to us. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us what? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should, be, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and for the, the glorious appearance, appearing of the great God and our Savior. The, what, the great what? What's that saying? The great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the great God and our Savior as well. But notice what it, the proof of it is. I'm choosing to live a life of godliness, holiness, righteousness, and truth. And that's what you stand for as a believer. That's what I should stand for. That's what we all should stand for as believers, that this is the kind of walk I want to walk with God. And it proves to myself and to others you know, that we're Christians. They'll know you're Christians by your love. See, when they see that oozing out of you, when you're squeezed, you're, it's oozing out of you. And again, we're not all there. And then finally, so we can... Bring this to a close. Know your own selves. And look at Psalm 139, the first six verses. It's a Psalm of David. You should know it. 
O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understand my thought afar off. Thou compassed my uh, path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast but set me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Well, let's, I wrote this out. This is John Gill's uh, commentary on that to show us part of what David is saying, because you can look at it from different angles. We said earlier, we don't even know what's really on the inside of us. We have a revelation of who we are in Christ, but is that really manifesting in us and through us? And so, like Peter, we can say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. Have you ever made a resolu resolution? There's someone that I know of that made a New Year's resolution saying that because he always reported off of work on a continuous basis constantly, we're talking two, three, four times a month, maybe even sometimes more, taking a week off at a time. He had an FMLA, and every time he got a little thing, he just took advantage of it and takes time off of work. His New Year's resolution was, I'm not doing it ever again. I'm not, I'm not really reduce it and minimize it, etc. He took off four days in the first two weeks of January. <laughs> that didn't stick, did it? That wasn't serious, was it? No. See, we sometimes, we don't even know. We make something, we spew something out, but really, do, can we back it up? So listen to the meaning. John Gill's uh, commentary. Meaning either the knowledge of himself. Man, do you really know yourself? Such as God had of him, which was superior to what he had of himself. God's knowledge of us is superior to our knowledge of ourselves. Can you imagine that? He knows us better than we know ourselves. And especially of the knowledge of other persons and things, whether visible or invisible, in heaven, earth, or hell, things pre past, present, and to come, or else the manner in which God knew all this was amazing to him. But he did know his thoughts, his words, his actions, and so those of all others. How he should know all this was past his conception and struck him with the profoundest admiration. It's high, sublime, out of reach, beyond his comprehension. Can we all say that? How in the world does God sit on a throne and listen to every born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, love-walking child of God's prayer? How does he know my coming in, my going up, my rising up, my lying down? How does he know all that? He's God. And he says, this is just too much for me to handle. I can't understand all this. But you know what? He does. He does. He knows every hair on your head because he's numbered every one of them. This knowledge is sublime. It's just too much for me to handle. But here's the point. He knows me better than I know myself. That's the point. So our closing thought is simple. Every one of us has been told to work out our own salvation. How? How? With fear and trembling. With fear, godly reverential fear. Come on, Tammy, you can bring it. Come on. With fear and trembling. And how? Should we do it by scrutinizing our lives, by going to God, just saying, Father, shine the light of your scrutiny upon my life. Why? Because you know me better than I know myself. And I want to be committed as a Christian to becoming more Christ-like in my life every day. You gave the fivefold ministry to become to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the full stature, measure of the stature of Christ, is what 
you did, so that we can grow up into Him in all things. I don't want to set aside my growth just because I think I'm in church or I follow the, a, a plan of fasting and prayer because you could do that with, again, no spiritual substance behind it. No, scrutinize our lives to determine whether or not we're living our lives to honor God, to serve Him with our lives. And you know what? I believe this to be true. I shouldn't have to tell someone to serve God. I shouldn't have to tell someone, you, better, you should do something with God. Whatever gift, talent, or ability God has given you, I can encourage you to do that. But if you really know God, you're going to want to love as He loved. You really know God, you want to serve as He served. You know why? Because the Scripture says this, how can you not honor someone who did that for you? If someone did for you what Christ did for all of us, how can we not want to serve? Let's all stand together before the presence of our living God.